Hello, everyone, and welcome to the First Left Podcast. It's nice to be coming to you live again. It's always interesting, even for me, I, I always listen to the podcast myself and listening to myself preach, I think that was probably seven years ago, six, seven years ago. Even it was intense for me. <laughs> I hope the intensity didn't overwhelm you. You can tell that it's very different when I'm standing in front of a crowd than when I'm standing here in the studio just talking to you. But again, just to say about the intensity is that I just so, so, so deeply want to see you, to see people be made whole. You know, our mission statement is to train Christians to experience God's love more deeply and to remove barriers to receiving and sharing His love. Certainly, past experiences that have not been resolved, which is really what memory healing is about, is both they aren't resolved with God and they aren't resolved with the people. And sometimes we can't even do that. And part of that memory healing prayer is how do we experience closure even when we can't interact with a person? And I can't do that. At some point, we're going to put that whole teaching, getting along is going to be on video. Just to say for now is simply that there is such a need, such a need for us to make sure that we take care of our past, where we've wronged or we've been wronged, and to make sure we take care of it with the Lord and with others to the degree that we can because it will so affect how we see the world, how we see God, and especially our ability to receive and share His love. So in the future, we're going to be able to give you much more about that and how to do that and train you in that. At this point, it's just to say, hey, there is hope. There is a way to pray that can actually change stuff that's in your head, difficult, painful experiences. And they can be healed in such a way that sometimes people ask me, Mark, how can you even say that, you know, the adultery thing? And I say, because you can get well. I mean, partly the reason why I even say that and put it out there in public is just to help you see, hey, you can talk about shameful things when they've been dealt with well and correctly and healed. It no longer causes shame. It no longer causes pain or anger. You don't have to hide it. You can just be honest and say, yeah, this happened, but look what God did. Look what God is able to do to heal and to change us. And uh, so I hope that that's how you experience that point, especially of the memory healing, the inner healing prayer time, and even sharing a little bit about my story was just to give you hope that there is a way to get well. And we'll have more on that in the future. Anyway, so for today, though, the other thing at the end of that last message, look up Paul's prayers. I listed off a number of passages, and I thought, you know, that'd be a great place to pick up and, uh, and so I'm going to do that, but I'm not going to do that today because first, what I felt the Lord put on my heart is I want to think about when we go to prayer, what is the image in our mind of when we approach God, when we approach the Lord Jesus in prayer, what is his disposition? What is he doing? What is God, Father, Son, and Spirit doing? What is Jesus doing, the resurrected Jesus who is at the right hand of the Father? So that it's not just praying into open space and into open air, but the Bible provides us with a sense of an image, a picture, an idea of who Jesus is and what he's doing. And I thought it might be good to do that first so that when we look at Paul's specific prayers and some of the cool things that he prays about, that we might also then hear the Lord say to us that he's praying those things for us, and sometimes that he would even say those words right back into our heart as words of encouragement. The image that I want you to grab hold of is in Hebrews, where the author of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus is now our great high priest, 
as soon as that language comes, and a lot of the letter of Hebrews, it's a pretty long, thick, amazing letter, actually, but why it goes back to some of this Old Testament image of tabernacle, of temple, of sacrifices, of high priest, all of these different things, because in the context of the letter, what's happening is that many of the Jewish believers who were Jews, who had become Christians now who were following Jesus were experiencing incredible persecution because of it. And many of them were being tempted because of the suffering they were experiencing to want to go back to their Jewish faith. And the author is primarily trying to say, why would you want to do that? When the high priest, they came and went, and they could only go into the Holy of Holies one day out of a year to make intercession for and a sacrifice for sin. And then he says, even then, when you sacrifice animals, what could they really do? They could never really cleanse your conscience the way Jesus as both sacrifice and high priest can do. And, and essentially, he's just trying to go, you just got to be kidding me. Why would you go back to something that was an idea that sort of had some measure of impact, but nothing, nothing, nothing like what you can experience today through Jesus in the mystery of being both the sacrifice and the high priest and who is still our high priest before God on our behalf. So anyway, I want to pick it up there where in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, the author says this, Therefore, since we have, we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. And that's why that line, right? Hold firmly. Don't abandon God. Don't abandon Jesus. Don't go back. Hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, again, the high priest was the one priest who one day out of the year got to go into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, into the very presence of God, as it were. His throne, often the Ark of the Covenant was considered his throne. He got to go in there to make intercession, bringing sacrifice in there for the sins of the people. And that was once a year. And even then, he had to make sure that he was completely sinless. They put a rope around his ankle in case he wasn't sinless in that moment and had confessed his sins. And they'd have to drag him out because he would die. Well, here now, we have this author telling us Jesus is our great high priest who is in heaven being high priest for us before God in his very presence, in the Holy of Holies, as it were. And in chapter 7, the author says this, Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely, forever and at all times, those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. See, one of the needs that we have, when he says he helps us in our time of need, of course, is that we do sin, we do harm God and others, we do wrong, and we need to approach God about this. One of the first things that the author is trying to help us understand is that when we come to God 
We come to God through Jesus. We have that one who is like us in every way, fully human, but now raised and in the new body. But we come to a high priest who lives forever, who again in mystery is, is also with his own blood from his death as it were. And again, it's imagery, but the idea is that he's able to go into the presence as a forever high priest and having this forever sacrifice for the sins of us all. And when he comes into the presence of God, you can have full confidence that you will find mercy and receive grace there, that we have access to him and have confidence that we will be forgiven by him, loved by him. As such, the other thing then that he says is that not only is this one of the things that he does, well, that's the idea of that he intercedes for them, right? That he intercedes for us. The word intercede there in the Greek means to appeal and that Jesus is appealing on our behalf. First John 2, 1, John talks about Jesus as being our advocate. It's that word paraclete, where again, he is our advocate, interceding, appealing on our behalf for our sin. And just to know that every time we come with that issue in our lives, Jesus is there interceding for us, appealing for us as our representative, as our advocate. And to know that that is always sufficient, always there, and it's why we get to come into his presence and can have full confidence that we can receive mercy and grace. Many of the commentators talk about, though, the fact that this idea of intercession or making appeal, that the difficulty of the word is that it can often lend the idea that God is begrudging and not willing to do anything. And we got to remember that when Yahweh revealed himself to Moses, he revealed himself as gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. I mean, that's the heart of God. So, again, it's imagery, it's an idea. It's not like Jesus has to go there and like really appeal and advocate for us because the Father's ready and willing But he is doing that for us and just this idea that we approach God together with him. But again, I love that clause when he says that he empathizes with our weaknesses, who has been tempted in every way. In another part of the letter, Hebrews 2, 17 to 18, the author says, For this reason, he had to be made like us, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. Had to be made like us in every way, in order that he might become merciful. He understands, he knows what it was like to be tempted. In fact, the very next sentence says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted or tested, he is able to help those who are being tempted or tested. Hebrews 5, 7, the author says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. See, Jesus knows what it's like to be in difficult places, and he prayed. He knows what it was like to be tempted because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted or tested. He is ready, he is willing, he is eager to help us, help us approach the Father for the forgiveness of sins. But he's also there, the text says, to help us when we're being tempted, when we're being tested, when we're going through difficulty. 
It made me think of in the Last Supper when Jesus spoke to Simon. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. See, I couldn't help but wondering if Jesus is still praying that for us as well today. That he is praying because he knows what it was like to be tempted by Satan, to be tested by Satan, and how much sometimes that can be so difficult that we're tempted to quit, we're tempted to want to opt out, tempted to doubt, and he says, I'm praying for you. Or I also thought about the fact in John 17 where he was praying for the disciples and for those of us who would believe afterwards. And in John 17, 15, Jesus said, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. You know, even that, friends, is that many times people will pray something like a prayer of protection, like they don't want anything bad to happen. And I think that's fine to pray. It's just we have to always be aware, though, that lots of bad still happens and it's not God's failure to protect us. In fact, especially in the New Testament, Paul tells us to anticipate difficulties, to anticipate suffering, that this is normal. But I think here, this is one of three places where the word protect is actually used in the New Testament, and it's about protection from the evil one, protection from him that our faith would not fail. And I think Jesus is still praying that for you and for me. He also prayed that we'd be sanctified, that by the truth that we would be made holy is what that means, that we'd be transformed by the truth so that we would live in accordance with the truth. And he says, your word is truth. I bet you he's still praying that for us today. And also in verse 21, 1721, he said, all who believe in me may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Bring them to complete unity. You know, I think he's praying this too because all around us is such disunity that there is conflict, there is hate, there is strife. And among us, we should be showing that the love of God changes us, that there is a unity between us as there is a unity between us and God and in the Godhead. He is still praying that for you and for me. He's praying for us to be protected from the evil one, that our faith would not fail, that when we are tempted and tested and we're undergoing suffering, that we would not give up and quit our faith in God. He's praying for unity for us. See, as we go into these prayers of Paul, again, what my hope is, is that we would have an image, maybe not every time, but just regular an image that the risen, resurrected Jesus is our great high priest. He's before God. He intercedes on our behalf, I think, at times for forgiveness But especially, I think he still intercedes on our behalf, prays for us, the things that he prayed in the past, praying for strength, praying that we would endure through suffering, praying that our faith would not fail, praying that we'd be protected from the evil one, praying that his word, which is truth, would sanctify us, make us holy by that truth, to live in accordance with the truth, and that there would be unity, unity among us, so that the world would know, that the world would see I want to finish then letting you hear this from Jesus. So listen now from his heart to yours. I am your great high priest who has ascended into heaven, me, Jesus, the Son of God. So hold firmly to the faith you profess. For you see, I empathize with your weaknesses. 
because I was tested in every way, just as you are. So, approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Approach God's throne of grace with confidence, knowing that you will receive mercy and you will find grace to help you in your time of need, knowing that you will receive mercy, forgiveness, compassion, kindness, and you will find grace, you will find my love, you will find my power, you will find all that's necessary to help you in your time of need. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much, Lord. So, Lord, we do. We just want to come to you full of confidence. Approach your throne of grace, fully anticipating that we will receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need, no matter what that weakness is. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We bless you. Amen. And God bless you all. And have a great day and a great week. Thank you.